0: Father, we thank you that when we set our eyes on your son, Jesus, we find true hope. We set our eyes on one who has bought our salvation. We thank you that, Jesus, you have come. We pray that even now as we open your word and we, he speaks to us by your spirit, that you would incline our hearts to see you and see something more of you, that we would love you more, that we would love those around us more, that we would understand what it is to be the people you've created us to be, and we would do that for your glory alone. And so help us as we open your word now, we confess and we know that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we pray that by the power of your spirit, that you would change us, conform us more into your likeness, Jesus, we pray. And it's in your name that we ask. Amen. 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 Let's well, take a seat, folks. If you've got a Bible, uh, you could turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Uh, we'll pop the, the verses up on the screen as well. If you haven't got a Bible, you can follow along on there. But the passage that we've just read, we've been in Isaiah a lot over the last few weeks as we've gone through our Advent series. And as we get to chapter 12 here, we see that Isaiah is looking forward to a day. You see that in verse one, you will say in that day, Isaiah is looking forward to a day. And he's writing, if you remember, 700 years before Jesus is born. And he's looking towards a day where he sees God's people gathered together and they are drawn up from the well of their salvation and they are being filled with joy and that joy is overflowing into thankfulness. Isaiah's vision is a vision of a thankful people. And as he's writing so many years before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to give God's people at that time hope. If you remember the prophecies that he's already shared over the last few weeks as we've looked, we saw in Isaiah chapter seven, this promise of, of one coming who had been born of a virgin and, and he would be given the name Emmanuel, God with us. And let's never lose sight of that, that reality, the sweetness of the, rea- the reality that God came and put on human flesh, Jesus came fully God, fully man, came and lived amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, we see the promise of a child coming who would be like light in the darkness. He would come and shine like light in the darkness. And he would come as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. And Isaiah gives these promises to God's people who are in desperate need of hope. And as we get to chapter 12, again, Isaiah has God's people look forward. Look forward to a day when God will come and he will save his people. There is a day coming, Isaiah says, when God's promised saviour will come. And on that day in verse 1, what does he say God's people will do? We will give thanks. We will give thanks to God. and He gives us the reason why. We will give thanks to God because even though God's anger was directed towards us, it has now been turned away. And in place of the anger, what is there? Comfort. Comfort for God's people. Isaiah looks forward to a day when God's people will be filled and overflowing in thankfulness because of the reality of God's anger, which has been taken away and replaced with comfort. And Isaiah looks forward to a day, which is today, the 1st of January, 2023. Now, we don't find that written in in the scripture there, do we? But... Well, he's looking forward to today. In fact, he's looking forward to every day after Jesus Christ ascends to be with his father, after he has made atonement for sins through his death and risen from the grave and ascended to be ruling and reigning at the right hand of the father. Isaiah is looking forward to every day that follows that day. Every day when God's people can look back and see their salvation bought for them in the finished work of the cross. Every day that they can look back and see that once God was angry with them, but now he's not. The anger is gone. There is none left if you have faith to believe. Mm -hmm. All of the righteous judgment due to us for our sin, if we have faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is gone. Because it's been poured out on the only one who didn't deserve it. Jesus in Jesus' death on the cross, he makes atonement for sin and he turns away the anger due to God's people because he suffers it in our place. The cross of Jesus, folks, is dark and it's tortuous. Never, never forget the, the extent that Jesus Christ went through in the cross in order to, to take away the wrath of God from us. It was tortuous in multiple ways. Jesus was tortured emotionally. Think about how he was abandoned by his friends, falsely accused. Think about how he was stripped, naked and humiliated in front of his friends and his family. He was tortured emotionally. He was tortured physically. His body was beaten and ripped open. As they lashed his back with shards of glass and metal. And his brow was pierced as they pushed the crown of thorns onto his head. And his hands and his feet were nailed as they fixed them to a cross. And his lungs struggled under the weight of his own body as he suffocated. And his side was pierced as they pushed a spear into his side. There was an emotional torture, there was physical torture, but perhaps... Most overwhelming was the spiritual torture. Make no mistake, folks, God hates sin and He is angry at it. And the penalty for our sin is eternal separation from the kindness of God. It is the absence of His love and peace for all eternity. The judgment of God, folks, is fair, but it is furious. There is no more fearful thing that we can imagine. And Jesus suffered that. For everyone who has put their faith in him for salvation. Just think about that. All of the thousands, the millions, perhaps billions of people who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Jesus in that moment on the cross suffered, suffered the, the separation from the loving kindness of God that we deserved. All of the judgment that was due for our sin, for millions of people, for billions of people's sin, past, present and future. All the small sins, all the big sins, all of it descended on Jesus in that moment. Every drop of judgment for all of God's people fell on Jesus Christ on the cross. And he paid for it in full. But the cross is even more powerful than just removal of our sins, folks. Our sinful nature at the cross for those who believe is replaced with Christ's righteousness. Which means that we are now welcome in the presence of a holy God. Which means when we look at verse 2 and verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 11, it makes sense that we can now approach God as one who comforts us. Because the anger that was due to us has now been taken away. We can come into the presence of God because we have been made right in his sight. As we are clothed in his righteousness. So when we come to verse 3, we don't need to fear God. We don't need to approach his throne trembling with fear. Thinking that he's going to pour out his wrath on us. He can't because it's God. So now we come to the throne of God. Looking at the finished work of the cross. Trusting in our saviour as Isaiah says in verse 3 with joy in our hearts, knowing that all that is there for us in the throne room of God is comfort. Comfort. And peace. And love. So it makes sense when Isaiah says, as he looks forward to God's people gathered today like we are, it makes sense that he would see God's people overflowing with thankfulness. Doesn't it? It makes sense. When we look at the reality of the cross and we see what Jesus has done for us, it makes sense that as Isaiah looks ahead and sees the finished work of the cross and the Saviour doing what he has done and God saved people gathered together, it makes sense that he would see a people who are overflowing with thankfulness. Like I love the picture that he gives in verse 3. God's people come into a well, a well of salvation. Like this deep well of just lots of reminders of of who we once were, but who we now are because of the finished work of the cross. There we go. And as we draw up from that well, our minds are cast to Jesus. Our minds are taken and our hearts are drawn towards the cross. And we remember all that he's done. And as we draw up from that well, Isaiah says, we are filled with joy. There's another one. We are filled with joy. Maybe it's the same phone ringing the other one. We are filled with joy. But it doesn't end there. Notice what happens in verse four. As we fill ourselves up with joy, as we are reminded of our salvation, thankfulness overflows. It spills over. Others get to enjoy the overflow of our joy as our thankfulness spills over. Do you see that in verse 4 and 5? We will make known his deeds. We will exalt his name. We will sing his praises in all of the earth. Isaiah sees God's people as a people who are known all over the earth. As people who overflow with thankfulness. As we reflect on our salvation. He sees a people who are looking to the cross, who are looking to the saviour. And we can't help but speak. We can't help but sing. We can't help but worship Jesus for all that he has done. Why? Verse 5, because Isaiah says, he has done gloriously. It's a funny turn of phrase, isn't it? He's done gloriously. Like we think of our little ones, right? When they do something well. And we pat them on the back and we give them some platitudes and we say, well done, Micah, you've finished your dinner. Or well done, Gideon, you've done your homework, we're really proud of you. But it's unlikely that we're ever going to say to our kids, Micah, you've done gloriously, son. Like it's just not something we use that often. Like those kind of superlatives are reserved for Jesus and for the work that he has done. Earthly words, folks, cannot contain the beauty of the finished work of Christ. But maybe he has done gloriously, gets close. Isaiah looks forward to our today and he sees a people overflowing with thankfulness. As we look back to our salvation, as we draw up from the well of our salvation and we are filled with joy, he sees a people who are overflowing with thankfulness. I'm going to spend some time in a few moments giving thanks as we take this meal together. But before we do, I just want to give us just a couple of practical ways that we can apply that truth to our lives this year. How can we be a people who are distinctively thankful? As we draw up from that well, as we cast our mind to Jesus and the finished work of the Christ, how can we be a people who are distinctively thankful? Well, maybe this one's for you. <clears throat> if you're someone who, who defaults to, to being critical, or finding fault in other people, or criticising people. If that's where you go when things aren't going your way and, and you're frustrated and someone steps out of line, if that's your default, to be critical, to, to, to be fault-finding, to be a complainer, then maybe, as you come and take this meal in the moment, you can ask with God's help for that to change this year. For for you to be the, the type of person that Isaiah pictures here. To be someone who instead of being overflowing with critical comments. Is someone who is overflowing with thankfulness. And you need the help of God for that. And as we come to this table you can ask for his help. You can ask for him to feed you by faith. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not a critical person. But this one's for all of us. Just let's do this now. Cast your mind back over the last year and just think. Maybe just one person, there might be lots of people, but just think of one person that you are truly thankful to God for. Just think now, like actually do that. Just forget me talking for a minute and just think, who are you genuinely thankful to God for? Who's helped you grow in your faith this year, last year? Who's shown you something of the character of Jesus in their life, in the way that they've lived? Who's come alongside you when you've been struggling or suffering or tempted to sin and just gently led you away and led you back to Jesus? Who are you genuinely thankful to God for? And here's what I'd love to encourage you to do before the day is out, before it becomes the 2nd of January. Say thank you to that person. If God's people are a people who are marked with thankfulness, let's thank people. And I know it's not British. You guys might might not struggle with this at all, but we do. We struggle saying thanks to people and receiving thanks. I think we don't say thanks to people because we know how awkward (laughs) we feel when people say thanks to us. But let's just forget about that for a moment and just thank people. It's a distinctive mark of God's people that we would overflow with thankfulness. So can I encourage you to do that? Ring someone, send them a message, write them an email, whatever it is. Look back across this year and and think about who it is that you want to say thank you to and tell them, I'm thankful to God for you. I'm thankful for how God's used you in my life this last year. I want to honor you. I want to thank God for all that you've done and let them sit in that awkwardness and receive That thanks. And lastly, can I encourage us this year, particularly Liberty folks, make this table and make this meal an integral part of your week. Mm -hmm. You know, Isaiah gives you that picture of the well, drawing up joy from the well of salvation, drawing up joy as we're reminded of the finished work of the cross. Here's a well right here. Every time we come and take this meal, we are drawing up reminders, remembrance of all that Christ has done for us. We need this meal, folks. We say this whenever we take this. We need this because we so easily forget all that Christ has done for us. And if we are to be marked as a people who are thankful, then what better opportunity to come and break bread together and take the cup together and say to our Saviour, thank you. Because more than anyone that you're going to text this afternoon, he is worthy of our thanksgiving. And right at the end of Isaiah 12, we get two incredible reasons why. Isaiah says this in verse 6, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion. Zion is is another name for, for the home of God. Isaiah is looking forward. He's picturing us, God's people, gathering together, celebrating, looking to the finished work of the cross. And he reminds us we are inhabitants of the home of God. We don't belong here. This is just a holding pattern, folks. We are destined for somewhere much greater. We have a home with God. If you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a home with God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have an eternal inheritance with our saviour Jesus. And so we need to thank him for that. And I love the reminder that he leaves us with. Great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah looks forward and sees us gathered. And sees God in our midst. He's here. Holy One of Israel, he's here. Jesus Christ, our Saviour, is here. By the presence of his Spirit, he's here. What do you want to say to him? How do you want to thank him? We're going to do it. This afternoon, we're going to take this meal a little bit differently. What we're going to do is we're going to sing together. Jesus is better. We're going to worship. We're going to praise. We're going to make known his deeds, exalt his name. We're going to do that. And then if you're going to take this meal, this meal is for God's family. If you're saved, if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed of your sin and acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, then this meal is for you. And he invites you to come and take it. If that's you, then we're going to gather around the table and we're going to spend some time thanking him. Some of you are wetting yourselves, probably at the thought of that. Can I just encourage you? You know how easy it is just to say thanks? We can literally just say that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so we're going to come up and encourage you. Maybe come with your Bible, you might want to read some scripture, you might want to pray from your heart, you might want to share some testimony. As you look back across this year and you see just an evidence of God's grace in your life and something you want to give him thanks for, you might want to just share that and encourage one another as we take this meal together. This meal is about Jesus, but it's about him feeding his people by faith, by the power of his spirit. And so we get to do that together as we share this wonderful reminder of the finished work of the cross. So it's a little bit different, maybe uncomfortable to begin, maybe a few bits of silence, but that's okay. I would encourage you to come. Kids, we want you to come and watch as well. You come up and watch what we do, listen to what we say. It's a family meal and we pray that you'll be taking it with us as well one day soon.